the Life in Paradise podcast. Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to live in a tourism town? How about a tourism town on the beach? How about a tourism town on the beach in Nicaragua? If so, you've come to the right place. Like most people, I used to have a steady job. I worked my butt off, chasing my tail, always looking forward to the next vacation. One day, I decided that I needed to embed myself into a vacation indefinitely, and so that's what I did. Now my home is San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua. It's a small town of about 15,000 on the Pacific coast. I have a small sailboat charter business that covers my bills and leaves a bit left over to fund my habits. Sounds great, right? Well, it doesn't come without challenges. Even though we call it paradise, Nicaragua is still a third world country. So picture this, a mid-30s Texas guy and his two trusty Labrador-looking mutts set out on adventures as they stumble through paradise, trying their hardest not to stick out like sore thumbs. And believe me, they're not exactly camouflage. These are the stories of what life is like. Some good, some bad, but all entertaining. So sit back, relax, and live vicariously through me for about the next 30 or so minutes. And I promise you, this stuff can't be made up. Bet you didn't think I'd have another podcast up this quick. Surprise, surprise. I realized the other day when I did the podcast about Mexico and Mexico City that most of, well, it sounded like all I did was go around and eat tacos, which don't get me wrong, I did a lot of that. But there was a lot more to it than just eating tacos. But I do think that that got weighted more heavily in my description. I always go back and listen to an episode after it's published so that I can hear what it sounds like coming through the radio. And I listened to it and thought, man, all I talked about was tacos the whole time. So, I did a bunch of other stuff too. I went to a museum one day. It was like an all-day deal. Huge museum. Stomach wasn't right the entire time, so I knew where a bathroom was at all times at this giant museum. And sometimes they weren't close. And uh, one day we walked through this park, and I can't, I cannot say the name of this park for the life of me. It's like Chematukatek or some kind of something like that. And this is a grasshopper. So I don't know if that means grasshopper or not. But we were walking around down this this part of town in Mexico City, and it's a huge park. It's got paddle boats and all kinds of stuff in it. But the walkway that goes through the park is lined with blue umbrellas as far as the eye can see. On both sides of the path, which was about 15 feet wide, concrete path, winds its way through the park, connects one part of town with another. But what's funny is that all these umbrellas have vendors underneath them. And if there were less than 500 of these umbrellas, I'd be surprised. But what's even funnier is that they all sell almost exactly the same thing. So there's about five different umbrella vendors. And it's like you're on a treadmill. Like they just repeat themselves over and over. So for example, there may be one umbrella that sells candy. And they got all different kinds of Mexican candy, 
for little kids to come by and, and eat candy. Like the kids who are walking through the park with their parents. And there's another umbrella that has peanuts, has all different kinds of peanuts, different colors, different flavors. And then there's another stand that does airbrush body tattoos. And another stand that sells hats. And one other one, like, oh, oh, Mexican wrestling masks. That was it. So there's like five of them. There may be a couple more, but it was the exact same ones over and over. The exact same lettering on their signs, the exact same prices, everything exactly the same. And as you walk by each one of these umbrella vendors, they're all chattering at you, trying to get you to come to their umbrella. Come over here. I got the best cotton candy. And I just think to myself, you have the exact same cotton candy as all you other 250 cotton candy vendors. But this just kind of solidifies my theory on the way that the Latins market or the way that they conduct business. In the States... Businesses are always looking for an edge up on their competitor. They're looking to do something better. They're looking to do it cheaper. They're looking to do it faster. But in my experience, the way that the Latins conduct that strategy is if, they, if there's a successful business and it's doing well, they just copy it. They do exactly the same thing for exactly the same price. And to me, as a gringo business person, that seems like such a waste of time. For a little bit more money, you could do something to make yourself better, to give yourself an advantage, to outsell your competition. And I don't know why they do it this way, but I've seen it several times in San Juan del Sur, and everyone here knows about it. It's not, it's not just me making a crazy judgmental statement. It's it, like it happens. For example, there's a place in town called the Taco Stop. It's been here for about three years. Very disgusting tacos, but they're really cheap, and backpackers love them. So they opened up. They did really well. They started growing. They're selling a lot of tacos. I don't know how much money they're making, but they're definitely profitable. So just down the street, a taco place opened up, except it's called the Taco Spot, not Taco Stop, which is its competitor. So the Taco Spot opened up, and they had the exact same stop sign, same colors, same lettering, except they just changed the name from stop to spot, exact same menu, same prices. They're a little bit friendlier, and that's all they have different. So Taco Stop sued them, and I guess they won. They had to change their name, so now it's called The Street Style Taco. So the name of the restaurant is called The Street Style Taco. Brilliant. Another example of that in this town this is my friend Jessica, who opened up a bikini store. She did really well. She's making her own bikinis, selling them in her store. The store's growing. Right across the street, a little Nicaraguan family opens up a bikini store. Looks very similar, but obviously the products are very different. Another example of that is a restaurant called Colibri, which was a good restaurant. It was the best restaurant in town. It has since closed down. So what happened was the landowners or the, the landlords were renting the space to a gringo to have a restaurant. Gringo was in business for 10 years, one spot. Never missed their monthly payment, never griped about the rent going up. Landlord comes in and triples the rent. And they said, if you do that, we will have to go. We can't, we can't afford to pay that. And they said, well, that's what it is. So she closed down shop, 
took all of her furnishings, everything she did, and ripped it out of there. Well, then the owners tried to open up another restaurant in the exact same place called Calibri, the same name. Luckily, it failed. I don't even know if they ever got it opened, but that was the word. And they had advertised it. They had talked about it, you know, come to Calibri, and they'd give the same location. And it just blows my mind that they think that that's okay. I guess if you're never taught business ethics, then you just go for the throat. Throughout coming here and my time living here, I've gotten to know people from all over the world. It's tough when you live in a place that's a suburb of Houston to meet people that are from anywhere but Texas. And so coming here, I've gotten to know people from all over the world, learn about their cultures, compare notes, and it's been pretty interesting. One thing that disappoints me is that why don't we have any drinking songs in the States? All these other countries, it's like, oh, that's an Irish drinking song. That's a German drinking song. Czechoslovakian drinking song. Polish drinking song. And I'm thinking, we don't have any drinking songs. Why don't we? Are we not old enough? I think I would like to declare a song, a drinking song of the United States. But I don't know what that is. So if you know how to write music or you can play music, let's write a drinking song and try to make it the official drinking song of the U.S. Who knows? Maybe we could be famous. So today is the day in San Juan that they celebrate this thing called Hippica. And Hippica is like a Latin version of dressage, I think it's called dressage, dressage, where horses dance. I think it's dressage. So they have their own version of that. No one around here really participates because all the big cattle farmers are all up in the north part of the country, Esteli. Well, this particular day, they come down. It's the last day of the rodeo. They parade up and down the main road all day. So this morning, I ran out, got all my provisions, came in, locked it down. I'm not leaving until tomorrow. Because you get stuck in a horse parade. I had a podcast about it last year. Go back and listen. I don't know the date. I don't know the number. So listen to all of them until you find it. But I got stuck in a horse parade for a while. Luckily, Ronnie told me, well... He mentioned it to me, and I'd kind of forgotten. And then I walked down to the market the other day to order another brisket. And sometimes in town, they'll take the big, like, easy-up tents, like the tents that you just kind of pop up, and there's just a roof. And what they do is they set up a table underneath that tent, and it will block off. They'll put it at a four-way intersection blocking off one of the roads. And so they'll set up a table, and they'll have some chairs and two people sitting there, and huge speakers blaring Nicaraguan music. And they have microphones. And so the music's blaring, and over the top of the music, they're talking. And I can't understand them. It's so loud. There's so much going on. Their face, they get all up in the mic, and they talk, and they can't hear what they're saying. And so I have to ask Pedro. I asked the butcher. I said, hey, Pedro, what are they saying? And he just goes, oh, Hippica. I'm like hippica. I was like, oh, that's this weekend. I said, but what? Like, what are they announcing? And so it turns out that they're just saying, they keep announcing like hippicas this weekend. Come out and party. Come watch the parade. We got a box here, and we're taking your donations. And it's so loud, you can't hear yourself think. And I said, is that annoying to you? Like, do you do you get bothered that you have to hear that all day? He's like, no. He's like, I like to go out there and see what's happening. Because he can't see it from where he's at. He has to walk outside and poke his head out. 
So on the days of the Big Tent announcement music parties, everyone's kind of just sitting outside their house, hanging out, watching, watching the action. And it's always funny to me. I, I observe it every time, and I haven't talked about it before. But sometimes they'll be doing fundraisers for a child who's hurt, or sometimes they'll be doing fundraisers for, like, disabled kids, and they'll have a kid out there in a wheelchair holding, like, a little bucket, and, I mean, you, you have to drop some money in that. But it's funny. It's normally the same intersection every time, and after a while you start seeing the same people. Speaking of seeing the same people, hope I don't ever see this guy again. I was at the beach the other day, minding my own business, throwing the ball for the dogs. And I went to an area that was a little bit more populated than I normally go to because the waves were so big. And I wanted to see just how big they were. So I went to an area, big waves, lots of people. And I'm throwing the ball. And out comes this guy walking on the water, coming towards me, but not directly towards me, a little bit off, coming up to the beach, but bookie naked. And he's not even trying to cover himself. And he's not like a, he's not Nicaraguan at all, but he's not American. I don't know where he's from, but it must have been acceptable to just swim naked because he comes walking out, flopping in all his glory, smiling at everyone like it's nothing. And I thought, at first I thought, man, that poor guy lost a swimsuit. I was like, well, he's not even trying to cover himself up. So he gets out, walks all the way up to where I guess his stuff was, and there was a little family there with like a little girl and the Nicaraguan dad jumps up and gets in his face and starts yelling and the guy puts up his hands and his palms out and he backs up and he wraps a towel around him and I saw the guy like 30 or 45 minutes later still with a towel on him and I was like did you just come here with no swimsuit man like what is happening but when he was walking out towards me I didn't do it but I kind of wanted to just point and laugh (laughs) I don't know why I didn't do it. I didn't want to give him any attention. I just looked away. Didn't want to see it. Had I been feeling a little bit bolder, I would have pointed and laughed. I just didn't want him to approach me. Ronnie still does not have his dirt bike running yet. Things have been pretty tough for old Ronnie lately. I got a little glimpse of Ronnie's life outside of work the other day. I've always known that they have it pretty tough and that their little boy's sick a lot. And he didn't get a lot of sleep at night. And so I know that he's got it pretty tough. Well, a few weeks ago, it was Mother's Day. And he wanted to go hang out with his wife's. Technically, they're not married. A lot of Nicaraguans don't get married, but they still call each other their spouses. I think because weddings cost money. So he wanted to go with his wife to her mother's house for the weekend. But he said he couldn't do it because he had to work Saturday. I said, man, take Saturday off and take half a day Friday Here's some money for the bus. You guys go and stay. So he was very appreciative, and he took the money, and he left. And then on Saturday afternoon, he comes riding his bike up the hill. And I was like, man, I thought you were going to go to your mother-in-law's. He said, yeah, but we had to come back in the middle of the night. And I said, why? He said, because our baby was sick, and he was screaming. And I said, but why would you, why not not just stay there? He's like, because we had to bring him to the doctor. And I guess there's no there's no free clinic in Rivas or wherever they went. So he had to come all the way back to San Juan so he could go to the free clinic. So the baby kept him up all night. Didn't get any sleep. Somehow or another, he ended up spending, oh, he had to buy a bunch of medicines for his son. And so a couple of days go by, and he comes back. He said, man, is there a way I can borrow some more money? I need to buy 
some more medicine for my kid. And I said, okay. I gave him some more money. The next night, at about 9.30, I hear a dirt bike coming up the road, coming straight towards my house. So I hop up, I go to the front, I look, and it's Ismail. And Ismail's got Ronnie's wife in the back of the dirt bike, in the mud, in the rain, and that she's holding the baby. And I go, what's happening? What are you doing? And they told me that Ronnie's roof collapsed on his house, and water came in and just flooded the entire place. So Ismail throws her off the back of the bike, goes back down the hill, grabs Ronnie, brings Ronnie back up. Ronnie had been drinking a little bit, so I could smell alcohol in his breath. He was mad. His wife was all upset because water went in the house. The baby's screaming because he's sick. It's pouring down rain. They're all soaking wet. And I was like, guys, come, come inside. What's going on? So they told me everything. Ronnie got into it with the landlord, said that they're moving out. She's upset because they have nowhere to live. He, the baby's screaming its head off. I'm like, guys, just relax. You can stay here tonight. We'll figure it out. And so I had some house guests for a night, Ronnie, and the screaming baby, and the wife. But it wasn't bad. They were, it was perfectly fine. Next morning, they kind of regrouped. Ronnie sobered up. The baby didn't cry as much. And they went back down, sorted out the house. Then they came back and they told me that they got to be out by the end of June. Didn't really ask why. Ronnie said the wife got into it with the landlord's wife because the property owner has their main house and then they have a little house off to the side that Ronnie and his wife are at. Not even a house, just a little shack. And Nicaraguans, especially the girls, can be a little bit gossipier than normal. They get kind of catty and they fight. So she's real young, so I'm sure she got into it with the landlord's wife. But as it turns out, it looks like they're not going to be moving out of there. So I don't know if they made peace when I was gone. I'm not sure. But according to Ronnie, he went to the landlord and said, hey, man, this roof's leaking. Like before, it really started raining hard. And the guy said, okay, I'll fix it. And he never fixed it, never fixed it. Then we had a terrible storm. The whole roof caved in. Water went everywhere. And he told Ronnie, he's like, I'm not fixing it. If you want to move, you can move. And I was like, what a punk. This was the same guy that had me over cooked a big meal for me and Ronnie and Ismail. It was super nice. So I don't know. Sometimes there's two sides to every coin, but that would be uncool if that's what's happened. But I think they've kind of got it sorted out. Next step is to get that dirt bike running. And the son's fine now. I think he had a mosquito-borne virus. Man, I felt so bad for him. He said the kid just screamed all night. They didn't know what it was, so... I think I've mentioned before, sometimes they go to these witch doctors. Well, doctor, one of the witch doctors gave him this bottle stuff. Well, I, I walked through the house and I saw this brown bottle with a bunch of leaves in it inside the house from when Ronnie was staying here while I was in Mexico. And so I grabbed the bottle and I walk over to Ronnie. I'm like, what is this? He's like, oh, it's medicine for my son. And I go, what kind of medicine? Why does it have leaves in it? He said, no, it's, it's for their head. You put it on their head when they have a fever and it cools them off. And I go, what is it? And he goes, guado... And it was just some plant. He named the plant. I don't remember what it was. I didn't recognize it. It looked kind of like rosemary, but had bigger leaves. So they mixed this cheap, cheap grain alcohol with some plant. And they put it on the baby. And that's supposed to bring the fever down. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, because it's just like, well, it's just putting alcohol. And the alcohol evaporates and it cools everything down a little bit. I don't think the plant has anything to do with it. Maybe it just masks the smell. But I'm pretty sure that Ronnie thinks it's like a magical concoction. But the son's fine now. It took him a trip to the Rivas Hospital, actually, to get him right. 
Ronnie kept telling me that they were taking him to the clinic like every single day. And I said, what's his temperature? And he said, well, we don't have a thermometer in our house. I said, you don't have a thermometer? He said, no, no. So I guess they feel him. He feels hot. They take him in and they give him some medicine. And he said they'd been going back and then going back. And the kid didn't want to eat. And so I said, man, Ronnie, why don't you take him to Revis? And he said, oh, I don't have any money. So gave him some money, took the kid to Revis. He came back the next day, went back to Revis the next morning, and then came back to San Juan. So he had to go there twice in two days. And I said, how's the son? He's like, oh, he's fine now. Everything's good. And I'm thinking, he went from like almost dying to everything's fine. But he said he's fine. And I said, what did they do? He said, well, they gave him like six different kinds of medicine. And, man, they love them some medicine around here. Because it's like, I think it's kind of like a, it's like a luxury. These, a lot of these people grew up with no medicine at all. And so I can kind of see why it'd be appealing to have a bunch of medicine for your kids. Like you feel like you're doing better for your kid than what was done for you. And it seems like the U.S. is kind of taking a turn for the opposite. Like people don't want to medicate. Well, they will, but they're definitely not more proud the more medication that they have. There's also the group of people that think you shouldn't vaccinate. And there are no Nicaraguans that think you should not vaccinate. I also learned on my recent trip, or I reminded myself rather, that I am inherently clumsy. I had to teach myself to not be clumsy. Like I have to think about what I'm doing as I'm doing it so that I don't do something clumsy. It's some, just, some, just some examples of some stuff that happened on this trip that reminded me that I'm clumsy. Like one time I reached across my glass and it had a straw in it. I was reaching across the table and my arm bent the straw down just a little bit and then it popped off the side of my arm and the straw shot straight up in the air, probably three or four feet, and then straight down into Lindsay's glass. And I was like, whoa, I was like, I could never do that again if I tried. And thankfully, I'm willing to laugh at myself along with everyone else who was laughing at me. Another thing that I did was on the flight from Mexico City to Cozumel, there was a, I was sitting in the aisle seat and there was a guy sitting next to me and his girlfriend was sitting next to him by the window. And they were kind of making out the entire time. So it was awkward for me. But they served the drinks. I had a Diet Coke. I opened it, and it spewed all over this guy's white T-shirt. And it didn't fall. I didn't drop it. I didn't shake it. But this little hipster looked at me. He was like, oh, bro. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm sorry. He just had a plain white T-shirt. It was covered in Diet Coke. And I thought, man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that, but it sure was funny. I knocked over a glass one time at dinner. Like, just on this past trip, knocked over the glass, broke the glass, spilled the drink all over the table. I had a, uh, I was in the pool, had a cigar in one hand, a beer in the other, and I was walking down the pool where it starts to get deep and go to the deep end. And I knew that it was kind of slippery, but I thought I could just kind of make it and float. Well, I'm walking down, and my feet go out from underneath me, and I go straight down, beer, cigar, hat, everything, underwater. And I come up, everything's soaking wet. Once again, I was being laughed at. and Luckily, I was willing to laugh too. But those are just a few examples. I mean, I used to be, my grandmother used to tell me, you're a bull in a china closet. And she was right. And I still am. Man, when I was a kid, I used to just break 
everything. I remember Uncle John. Uncle John had this couch, and Uncle John was pretty particular about his things. And so Uncle John had a couch kind of in the middle of the living room where the back wasn't pushed against the wall. And I'm sure I was following my cousin Thomas around doing exactly what he was doing. But I remember running into the living room and the living room was kind of dropped compared to the rest of the house. So I jumped off the edge of the stair that leads down into the living room. And I landed on the back of that couch and my feet just went straight through the back of it and unstapled the whole cover. And it just like sunk into there. And I looked up and Uncle John just standing there looking at me. And I don't remember what happened after that. I think I just took off running. But I remember that incident and I remember looking up and seeing him and thinking, oh, no. And knowing how particular he was about his stuff. I was probably seven or eight at the time. And I don't remember him like talking to me or anything. But I remember feeling like I did something real wrong. One time I was at my grandparents' house in Tyler and in the garage. It was raining outside. So I was just playing in the garage I was probably about 10 or 11 and had a pogo stick. And I was bouncing on that pogo stick in the garage. And my grandfather, who I called Truman, which is another story, comes out. He goes, man, you should be careful bouncing on that pogo stick with that wet floor like that. And I was, I think it's okay. Bounce, bounce. And about that time, I come down, the pogo stick compresses, and the leg goes out from underneath me backwards which sends me face first straight down into the concrete in the garage, tooth through lip, nose bloody. I go, I put my hand over my face and go walking inside, and I just look at my grandmother, and she sees this bloody hand on my bloody face and a bloody shirt, and she almost fainted. I remember my grandfather coming in right behind me and, and saying, Dortha, you just, you just go sit down. Dortha, you just go sit down. And then he sat me down in that chair, and he went and got an ice pack and put it on me, I remember wondering if I was going to have to get stitches, which I ended up not having to get. But my teeth went almost all the way through my lip. I one time jumped off a swimming pool backwards and slammed my chin on the edge of the pool. At a family reunion, had to go get stitches. Locked myself in a telephone booth before, trying to play Superman. Locked myself in an elevator. Fell through a plate glass window. The list continues. I could probably go on for a while. And I asked my friends who have kids, like, how often do your kids get hurt? I'm like, eh, I don't really, I don't really get hurt. I'm thinking, man, by the time I was their age, I'd been to the ER like six or seven times. So all that just reminds me that like clumsiness is in my blood. It's like in my DNA. So I have to overcome that with like extra careful movements. Because if I turn around, like I'll look before I turn around so I don't knock something over. And I assess different dangers of grabbing things and what may happen if things go wrong. And so what happens is if my mind gets occupied with something else I'm not capable of managing the clumsiness and then accidents happen and so in Mexico it happened because most of the time I was occupied talking to people or had a little too much to drink or whatever but all eight cylinders have to be firing for me not to be a bull in a china closet everyone's been all excited about a new Indian restaurant that's opened up in town and I went there once and it was okay I got chicken curry, except they, they advertise as having this Indian bread. Naan, I think it is, something like that. And it's good. I've had it before, and I was looking forward to it. And I opened my box of tortilla. I thought, oh, man, they must have been out of the bread. So I had my Indian curry tacos, and I thought the other day, I said, man, I'm going to go back to the Indian place. Maybe they got the bread situation sorted out, and I'll try a different kind of curry. 
So I walk up there, and the Indian lady who was there last time was not there this time. So it's three Nicaraguans, uh, no English. I thought, well, I'm going to order a chicken curry plate, and then I'm going to order some pork curry for lunch tomorrow. And so I point to the menu, and I go, I want this, like the chicken curry plate, come to the rice vegetables curry. And he said, okay. And then I pointed to like a side order of the pork curry. And I go, and this. He's like, for here to go, to go. He walks back to the cook. And you can see everything. It's just a little kitchen right there. It's a little window you walk up and you take your order. And there's a couple of stools and chairs or you just walk away. So he's talking to the cook. He comes back to me. He's like, uh, which ones did you want again? So with the chicken curry plate with the rice and the vegetables. And then one side, small order of the pork and cabbage curry. Okay, walks around the corner, couldn't really see him, and he comes back. He's like, well, we're out of the chicken curry. I said, okay, well, just give me the pork curry plate. I said, hey, do you guys have any of the uh, Indian, the bread that, that on the picture? They're like, no, and they held up the package of store-bought tortillas. I go, okay. So then he comes back, and he goes, we don't have any pork curry either. <laughs> and I said, what do you have? And he's like, vegetables? I go, you, all you have is vegetables? You don't have rice? You don't have anything? And they're kind of just shrugging their shoulders. And I go, adios, gracias, buena suerte. See you later. Good luck. And then I walked off. And I thought to myself, that's the last time I'm going there. I mean, I don't like Indian food that much. I'm not going to go begging for it. I thought to myself, what kind of business owner would leave those people there running the place? Even, even if it was just for 30 minutes. Like, she had to have known that they were not capable of sorting that place out. Whether it was they didn't know what ingredients to buy, they didn't know how to prepare it, they didn't know, maybe she didn't get it for them. I suspect that she didn't know that all hell was breaking loose and she was gone. And it just blows my mind. You see business owners down here all the time. They want to just hand it over to their employees. They don't want to put the time into it. They don't want to build a face. They don't want to build a name. And then they get confused when it flops. And their employees are mostly uneducated, people from a third world country, who have never bought retail, never sold retail, never had the dining experience, never been waited on, never been cooked for, never eaten anything other than rice, beans, chicken, and vegetables. And then they put them in this environment where we have all these expectations and all these assumptions, and then they can't fulfill that, and then we blame them. Not we, me, but a lot of business owners blame their employees. And in my mind, it's the employer's fault. It's the gringo's fault for not assessing these guys and figuring out what they're capable of and then coaching them up from there. Take that, you lazy gringo business owners. Go sit in your bar and drink your beer. All right, put a bow on it. Wrap it up. I think that's it. Bronco's starting to pant, and when he does, the mic picks it up, and it's not nearly as pleasing as the birds chirping. So we're going to call it good. You guys got two episodes in 24 hours. I think I bought myself some credit. No more episodes for two weeks. No, I'm just kidding. Hopefully some stuff will happen and I get some more stuff up. Until then, check out our website, nikasaleandsurf.com. Send me an email, nikasaleandsurf at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. Keep it tranquilo. Wow.
night.